Hey, this is Jennifer popping in to remind you about Supercasters Premium, the version of this podcast that comes with all sorts of extra perks, all for free. You get access to bonus content like extended interviews, special subscriber-only episodes, and audio recordings of all our blog posts. As a premium subscriber, you also get access to our podcaster networking community, where we're working together as podcasters on growing our shows. We share experiences, experiments, resources, we ask questions, we swap tips. Did I mention it's totally free to join? Just go to premium.supercast.com, click the sign up link, and I'll see you inside. I can't wait to meet you. Enjoy the show. I'm Jennifer Tribe, and this is Supercasters, the show for podcasters who are serious about growing their audience and earning revenue from their content. Okay, so in the last episode with Jeff Fiddler, we talked about the rosy outlook for podcasting's long tail and how the data that Jeff's research company collects points to a future where many, many podcasts can not only survive, but thrive outside of the top 100 list. This week, I'm talking to Nick Hilton, who's the director and co-founder of a small London-based podcast production company called Pado. Nick is also the podcaster behind the acclaimed documentary series, The Town That Didn't Stare and The Town That Knew Too Much, each a deep dive into the quirky history of a UK town. And let's just say Nick has a slightly different view of life in the long tail than Jeff. Nick and I start out talking about what it means when the tech heavyweights like Spotify and Apple become content creators as well as content distributors, and we end up in a pretty depressing place, Nick's word. Of course, I don't dispute Nick's experience or that it is tough to make a go at podcasting in 2022. It is hard to grow an audience. We know this. Where Nick and I disagree, I think, is on whether the top 10,000 lists of podcasts is a viable place to make a living. I would love to know your thoughts on this episode. How does it match up to your experience? Are you feeling optimistic about prospects in the long tail, like Jeff from episode one of this season, or more pessimistic, like Nick? Tweet us at Supercast and let us know. Let's do this. Hey, Nick, welcome to Supercasters. Thank you for having me. You recently wrote a really interesting piece published on Medium called The Distributor's Dilemma, which takes the Joe Rogan Spotify kerfuffle as a starting point for discussing the ways that publishing and distribution are increasingly entangled. And I'll put a link in the show notes, by the way, for anyone who wants to check that out. Uh, I want to start with what you mean by that statement, how publishing and distribution are entangled. Well, there's this differentiation, I guess, that people make between distributor and publisher, or it's often referred to as publisher versus platform, um, which I think is maybe a more industry technical term. To me, it doesn't make as much sense. I think a bit about it as a publisher of the content and a distributor of the content. There's this difference between a publisher like um, myself and a distributor like uh, Spotify. And the question of whether Spotify has a responsibility for my content, if it's distributed on their platform, is fraught in and of itself but the joe rogan episode the 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 kerfuffle as you put it has uh kind of accentuated that issue and created this quite unique problem where spotify what has a kind of exclusive um relationship with the joe rogan experience and um paid out a lot of money for that 100 million dollars is what was originally quoted but i see recent reports that it could be more like $200 $200 million. So it's a hell of a lot of money to pay for a podcast that you aren't the publisher of. Um, it's a very expensive rights agreement. That's what Spotify are arguing. 
um, because obviously Joe Rogan has come under the under the microscope in recent weeks for this the, the question of to what extent he entertains the thoughts of anti-vaxxers and whether he does or does not scrutinise opinions that are kind of wacky. Let's say um, I mean that's kind of the, the the issue, and I'm sort of trying to disentangle it because I think it's important that we kind of work out. Um, who is responsible for what content, especially in a, in a in an industry like podcasting, which is very global, very decentralized, doesn't have regulators in the same way that other parts of the media have, certainly in this country, in the UK. And yeah, I think it's just an interesting case study for what will, I think, be an ongoing um, question. And it's a question we see time and time again. You talk in the article about how the lines are getting blurred increasingly, right? So um, you put it, tech is obsessed with content creation. So we see that obviously with Netflix, Amazon, um, not only are they distributing content, but now they're getting into developing content, they're creating originals, they're buying the rights to content. But you also mentioned that content creators have become obsessed with tech. What do you mean by that? Well, content creators becoming obsessed with tech um, is it's quite a personal thing in the sense that I, uh, here in London, I meet a lot of um, people who are running podcast companies. Almost everyone I, I, I speak to about this seems to be thinking about, oh, yeah, I'm making X podcast, and, but I'm also thinking about like developing a new app to change the listening experience, or you know, I'm doing something different with distribution, or like I'm working on tools to help creators and that sort of thing. If you're running a content-only business um, in 2022... It's relatively hand-to-mouth still. For all the call-me-daddies and gimlets and people who've been bought for tens of millions of dollars, um, most content creators are working at very slim margins, and that's the people who can make it pay. At the same time, podcasting seems flush with money because you see these hundreds of million-dollar acquisitions of quite niche pieces of tech. Um, And we've seen more acquisitions in the last week Spotify is doing almost all the buying, but various other other players have done buying. And even here in the UK, relatively small players um, are making kind of tech acquisitions. So I can see why if you were in content creation, you would be like, actually, the thing that's going to pay long term is tech, because that's just that's just the way the market looks. But it's kind of curious to me because all the biggest tech companies are investing really heavily in content. Um, and it just feels like two people who just have completely different mindsets. And if those could just be reconciled, um, then maybe we would save everyone a lot of money and a lot of stress. But instead, Spotify wants to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a few properties, and that's their prerogative. Yeah, it, it's interesting that content creators, or at least the ones that you're interacting with, are thinking that um, the way to make money is to build a piece of tech that gets acquired versus... Um, build a piece of content that gets acquired. I guess the, those content deals are, are few and far between. And as as you pointed out, Spotify is really looking for those mega hits um, versus cultivating the smaller podcast. But you you draw attention to that issue as well in a, in another article called "Is Podcasting Broken," which was in response to the Bloomberg article by Lucas Shaw that said there hadn't been any new hits in podcasting for years and. And, and I wanted to dig into this as well. Um, so one of the questions that you pose is, can content survive and be amplified without being owned? What do you think the answer to that question is? Um, I think that podcasting is in a place where I'm quite worried about it because I think that um, the ability of podcasting to sort of self-generate um, success 
which has been such a kind of foundational part of what the industry is. And it's been a reason why podcasting um, has gone from this countercultural medium to uh, to an industry where there's a lot of money is because it has this sense of in the last 15 years, maybe being the best place where you can get these independent voices outside of the mainstream to cut through. And that's kind of been the, the reason for its success, but it's also becoming an increasing challenge for content creators. Um, and, and, I, and I think that big tech, as it becomes more interested in podcasting and it, it it's a necessarily cyclical thing because Big tech is interested in it because it is doing well and it's doing well because it is countercultural. But the minute big tech comes in, it does less well. It creates this, this cycle. The fact that Joe Rogan, who Joe Rogan was a comedian in inverted commas, um, martial arts presenter or whatever, who went into podcasting because it was like an expeditious way for him to get his voice out there. He wanted to do something that he could do essentially out of his garage. Someone like Mark Marin is probably a very similar one on a slightly different side of the political spectrum that was what podcasting was um and now the joe rogan experience is a 200 million dollar podcast which is essentially owned although they they do not think this um it is exclusively distributed by a billion dollar tech company um it's a completely different kettle of fish and and do i think that the conditions exist currently for the next joe rogan to come about i don't i think that things have changed the market is so oversaturated Every tech company that distributes podcasts now has a dog in the fight. I see now Apple on today. This is for the first time I've seen this. I went on the Apple front page and I saw not the new and noteworthy um, bar at the top, which has always been there for as long as I can remember, but subscriber favorites at the top. So I can see that Apple is already pushing its subscription model. They're going to prioritize product that makes them money, as you'd expect them to do. Spotify, the same. They prioritize Spotify originals. Deal and other podcasts that have exclusivity deals or exclusivity windows with Spotify, they've got a dog in this fight now. So it's not this open ecosystem. There are still apps that have like an open ecosystem, um, but they're so minor. I mean, it really doesn't matter what anyone does if Spotify and Apple decide that they want to use spot, uh, use podcasting as a kind of personal um, project. Um, so yeah, I don't see how if I were someone who wanted to become a podcaster, wanted to become a professional podcaster, wanted to ha- have a Joe Rogan-esque chat show, even if I had a moderate audience, and let's say I had 50,000 Twitter followers, I don't really see how, unless I played the game with um, distributors and publishers, I don't see how I would get my podcast to cut through in 2022. I think, well, there is a long tail in podcasting, obviously. The top 10, the top 25, the ones that Lucas Shaw is talking about, the ones that we've been talking about, those are like the elite of the elite, right? Like the top 1% of podcasts. And then, of course, you've got the bottom end, which is the vast majority of podcasts that are like 10 listens per episode, 100 listens per episode. But I think you have a really interesting section near the top that are more niche podcasts, perhaps. They're 10,000 downloads per episode, 50,000 downloads per episode. And wondering if that is not considered a success. Like, do you think that that is a failure or that that hasn't broken through, as you say? Like, to me, 50,000 downloads has broken through. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not by any metric a failure. However niche or not niche your podcast is, um, if you're getting 10,000 downloads, not only is it not a failure, but you should be able to make a living from that. Um, 10,000 listeners should be enough to support 
a salary, in my opinion. And the fact that it often isn't, um, you know, I'm not saying that some people can't make it work financially on those sort of listener figures, but by and large, they can't. Acast and Audio Boom, who are the big ad sales agents here in the UK, they would anticipate a best case scenario of about a $30 CPM. So $30 for every thousand listeners, um, 30 times 10, that's $300 per episode. After all your costs, it's not realistically going to be enough to, for someone to live on if they're hosting and producing it themselves, let alone if they have even the smallest possible team. So the industry is sort of broken at, at the moment um, for people in this kind of very large middle. It's particularly depressing for people here in the UK because our listening figures are just much smaller than the US, but we're still judged to the standards of the US because um, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. I think that 10,000 listeners, it should be considered a great success. It should be Liverpool. And, and the fact that it isn't is is, is symptomatic of a, of a degree of brokenness in the system. But yes, those top ones that, that the Bloomberg article points out there, you know, obviously there are going to be blockbuster podcasts. There are always going to be huge TV shows, huge radio shows, huge movies, huge podcasts, whatever. It doesn't matter. It, it shouldn't really matter what they're doing. That article doesn't go into the kind of the question of then, you know, what about the, not the next hundred, but the next 10,000 podcasts. Um, because the next 10,000 podcasts are probably all relatively well listened to um but does the support structure exist for them to to to, to make it in this in this world and, and i don't think it does um i i get that supercast and indeed actually lots of similar companies are trying to do that trying to make it more direct and not make people reliant on ad sales because obviously no one could really be reliant on ad sales it's 2022 um if you're reliant on ad sales um good luck to you but yeah it's a really troubled question a really fraught question what would you like to see happen in the next year or two to start to address some of those issues of brokenness? I think it's a challenge because a lot of the things that you could do to best address it in terms of supporting medium-sized podcasters and even small podcasters would run contrary to basically the business imperatives of major tech companies. So I don't expect that to happen. Here in the UK, for instance, I'd like to see the BBC take a more proactive stance in terms of supporting um and nurturing and nourishing the careers of like independent podcasters young podcasters that sort of thing rather than um simply entering what is a kind of existential bun fight for who has the most celebrity podcasts who has the biggest celebrities hosting podcasts on their platforms publicly funded broadcasters um and i guess to some extent npr has a different funding model but they serve a similar purpose in the u.s there are huge scope for these people to, to see themselves more as places to develop um, podcasts and to bring podcasts out of um, the wilderness of independent publishing into the nourishing, nurturing bosom of a, a well-funded, um, publicly-minded broadcaster. Other than that, Apple and Spotify can, can obviously put aside, to some extent, their business imperatives and say, look... We think it's really, really important that podcasting continues to be independence, grassroots, countercultural, and we are going to celebrate that more in the way we curate things. I'm always amazed by how effective the Apple homepage is as a curation tool. Anyone who's been featured on Apple knows that it makes a really serious difference. I can't imagine being a podcast listener who goes on the Apple store and just browses and sees, oh, you know. That looks interesting. That would never be my path of discovery. But my God, it, 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 it works. 
Um, and yeah, they could be more proactive with that. And I, I know they've tried to do things like, for instance, Black History Month and Black Lives Matter's kind of curated playlist to bring voices from underrepresented communities into into that kind of focus, put, put a focus on them. Um, but they could do that a lot more. And I hope that they continue to do that because there will be plenty of voices from underrepresented communities who choose to use the Apple podcast subscription mechanism. It's just a case of whether they're also willing to champion and celebrate the work of um, of, of people who are not using their subscription mechanics. Um, but again, it goes against every business principle. And the, and the same for Spotify, especially as they expand subscriptions for, for podcasts. And I think, again, it's part, part of the reason why Luca Shaw is depressed about podcasting and part of the reason I'm depressed about podcasting is I just don't think these things will happen because the business imperatives are so much in the other direction. One major tech company eggs on the next major tech company and Apple is having to keep up with Spotify. That imperative is very strong. I do wonder because I think I share your perspective on the industry in terms of what is happening, but I don't share the pessimism. Um, that mid-tier, I think there's a lot of good stuff happening and I wonder if they can continue to exist regardless of what's happening in the upper reaches of Mount Olympus with, um, you know, the call me daddies, if there's a space for them to exist as they are and make a living combining multiple revenue streams, finding niche audiences um, through other means and, and using the platforms as they can as a springboard um, and wondering where your pessimism comes from versus optimism. I'd like to be optimistic, but my pessimism comes from the fact that I run a very small little company in London and all of the best projects that I've worked on and I'm continuing to work on, I find it really hard to fund them. I find it really hard to sell them, all of that. And the reason I can make a living in podcasting is because I am willing to do corporate pro podcasts where they have very kind of low stakes KPIs and pay quite well. If I didn't do that, then I wouldn't be able to make a living. I wouldn't be able to make a living on the podcast that I'm proud of alone. We're talking about shows that are relatively successful. Not again, not call me daddy, but we're talking tens, if not more, of thousands of listeners. Um, I just couldn't make it work, and that does worry me as like an anecdotal experience. The U.S. market is is more mature. I I, I don't dispute that, and I and I think ad sales are more m mature in the U.S. too. But equally, do I believe that these people can? I, I mean, when you talk about like multiple funding models, it, it it just gets to a point where the act of of creation is in in and of itself is co complicated, and like making good podcasts should be creatively complex and exciting. The act of funding these things is even more complex, more exciting, more dynamic. If you're having to constantly beg people to go sign up to your Patreon and then also you're running programmatic adverts and also you've got a limited subscription series on Supercast and it's just like all of these things just to kind of scrabble together enough money to make a podcast and try and make it good enough and then also you have to take your child to nursery and pay for your supermarket. The whole thing is so complicated um, and that's why you end up with, yeah, some people will make that work but then you've just got such a huge advantage if you're a production company that gets a budget from Spotify and you can bring producers in who don't have to worry about like flogging their patreon or their supercar subscription they just do the work that they want to do the good complex interesting work um and then someone in that company has the relationship with spotify and spotify handle the distribution and you know it's going on spotify you know it's going to get a million listeners because spotify will place it front page on the us 
podcast store for six months and the scrabble is so much less complicated i guess that's why i'm not optimistic about it that is only going to get worse that's only going to be exacerbated if current trends continue and it's just not conducive to the making of good podcasts i think what is your definition of good uh gosh well look everyone's definition of good is different and my definition would be very specific and it would be as close as possible to a podcast that i would actually make as i could get away with it is different for everyone but i think that good podcasts add something to the general conversation whether that's like being informative or whether that's being kind of necessarily curious or whether it's debating issues there are all sorts of ways in which you can add something to the conversation um i think they should try and add something new but it doesn't matter if they don't if they are a good synthesis or a good digest of of things that are not new it's easier for me to say what i don't think is good things that are made for for cheap expediency i think tend not to be very good i think celebrities interviewing other celebrities comedians interviewing other comedians products where the market is already providing plenty of that content um don't do it for me in the documentary format which is it's a format that i love in terms of podcasts i think documentaries that don't provide any new or original research and kind of just rehash other people's research don't really do it for me even though it's a very cheap way of making documentaries and then yeah no podcast over an hour long i think is good i appreciate that joe rogan feels differently and i gather that his listeners feel differently there are lots of these things that i think are good and bad and it's totally subjective when i refer to like good podcast what i mean is something that is interesting innovative new presents a different perspective brings new ideas to the table does in- interesting investigations or research and just generally adds that sort of like kinetic dynamism that like the very best podcasts had in 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 the the golden age of podcasts and and i present that in stark contrast to the absolutely infinite number of podcasts hosted by former reality tv shows interviewing other former reality tv show stars interestingly you haven't mentioned production quality like editing sound design are those factors at all for you yeah i i always say there's a kind of baseline that i expect from a podcast and if it doesn't meet that then i can't take it seriously but far more podcasts are hitting that kind of minimum mark. And I try not to like excessively penalize podcasts, for instance, for having like limited sound design, because the reality is sound design is, is really expensive and original music composition is really expensive. But yeah, everyone expects a decent amount of sound quality. So yeah, I wanted to sound good enough that I'm not distracted by by the sound quality of it. Some people are really te- really like technically invested in the medium and come from like a sound designer and music background and are producers and mixers and designers in that sense. Um, that's not me. I come from a journalistic background and therefore I am much more interested in the, the story and the ideas and how well they're written and presented um, than I am in the technical aspects. I can definitely understand the appeal of uh, a deal from a platform where they give you a production team, they take care of ad sales, they take care of distribution, and and really, you can just focus on your content creation. Like you said, there are trade-offs with that, of course, as we're discovering, um, and wonder how you think about those trade-offs in terms of taking a deal, like how much control you have over what ads are run, or what you can say or not say, what ownership you have over back catalog over spin-off products um wondering your thoughts on those look i think that you can 
have some control of the ads. If you sign the deal correctly and you want to exclude certain types of advertising, um, I think that's fine. Ultimately, that's part of the deal you have when you go to a work, go to a broadcaster in exchange for money that you know th- these adverts that are exist as a sort of alien product. In terms of all the other trade-offs, I mean, more editorial oversight is almost always a good thing for a product. Um, almost all the podcasts that I've made <laughs> independently would have benefited from the wisdom and expertise of a bigger production team. It would, they would have probably benefited from the audience-facing expertise of a distributor. I certainly don't think that independent publishers should be shy or scared of the process of having more oversight. Um, the reality is it almost always leads to better product. It, there, there'll be trade-offs. There'll be some things that are really idiosyncratic or really like cutting edge or even a bit risque where the, the edges are sanded down. But if you want to take something something like that to mass market, you probably do need to sand down those edges. Um, and then in terms of like IP shares, back catalog and that sort of thing, you're a content creator. If you're signing a deal with a publisher or a distributor, you can negotiate these things and you can take some responsibility for your own destiny. This is a serious business, even if we're not talking about multi-million dollar deals, even if we're just, just talking about very, very small deals, you still have the ability to consult a lawyer on these issues. Look, IP is one of the most valuable properties in in this game. I mean, you don't sell it off cheaply and you hold on to it as best you can. But IP is worth nothing if no one listens to the podcast. That's the reality. A Spotify podcast has an infinitely better chance of getting the audience required to be adapted into an Amazon television series than a podcast that you make on your own out of your living room and which 200 people listen to. Parting thoughts for an independent podcaster who's currently in that mid-tail for the next 12 months. There's only so much that the independent podcasters themselves can actually do. And I think a lot of the onus and pressure is put on them to sort of divine their own destiny even when it's not necessarily possible. So to some extent, I would say to that podcaster, take some of the pressure off yourself because there there are such structural powers at play here that it's not even luck, really, whether you do or don't do well. It's like whether you can miraculously beat the kind of systemic um, issues that are going to keep you down. Um, What would I say, say to them? I would say to them, if your goal is to reach a bigger audience, or is to make sure your podcast is financially stable, then yeah, you will need to be open to the idea of working with publishers and distributors. The market is homogenizing around big tech and other mega publishers. And if that's your kind of ambition, then that's your ambition. I think that if you want to host the biggest podcast in the world, right? If, you, if, you're, if your ambition was to say, in five years time, I want to be the host of the biggest new launch of 2027, and you were someone in their 20s and tangentially involved in podcasting, I would say, go off and, I don't know, become a comedian. If you're not funny, um, go off and become a war reporter or something and like win a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, the, the thing is, at the moment, starting your own podcast, being a podcaster, is not the most expeditious route to being a successful podcaster. The most successful podcasters got there because they did something else first. And I think that that trend is only getting more and more pronounced. So if you're right now thinking about being launching your own podcast and you want to make it a, a, a guaranteed success, go off and become really successful or famous doing something else first and then launch a podcast. I think that that is 
one of the truest trends that I've seen, and it's really depressing. Um, and I think the age of the podcaster might be over. It might just be over. The idea of being someone who got famous as a podcaster. I guess someone like Alex Cooper is maybe the, the last person. I don't see it happening anymore. But maybe I'm wrong. I really appreciate your insights, Nick. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. That was Nick Hilton, head of production company Pado and creator of the podcasts The Town That Didn't Stare and The Town That Knew Too Much. For a full transcript of this episode, including links to Nick's articles that we discuss, go to supercast.com slash podcast. Now, I asked this question at the top of the episode, and I'll ask it again now that you've heard Nick's view on what it's like in the long tail. How are things looking for you? Are you feeling optimistic about your growth potential or a little bummed about how hard it is? Tweet us at Supercast. Let us know you're listening and what your thoughts are for this episode. Remember, you can also join the conversation in the Supercasters Premium community, where we do things like work to support each other through rough patches and help each other succeed. It is absolutely free, and by becoming a premium member, you also get access to a whole bunch of bonus content to help you grow your audience and your revenue. To become a premium subscriber, go to premium.supercast.com and click the sign up link. I will see you in there. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Tribe. Thanks for listening.